0: So hello, everyone, and welcome back to El Cafecito. We are Friday, January 25th, and I am here with Greg Antono. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for us?
1: Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Greg Antono. Uh, I'm in my fourth year, fourth and last year here at U of T, and I am double majoring in linguistics and Spanish and minoring in Latin American Studies
0: and you are quite special for the Latin American <laughs> Studies program because you were the recipient of the Latin American Studies Undergraduate Research Award last year. You wrote a 20-page paper for this <laughs> for this uh, award which you just presented today to at the Arts and Science Student Union Undergraduate Research Conference mm-hmm. and you will be presenting again in 2 weeks. Yes. on February 8th for the Latin American Studies Own undergraduate research day.
1: That's correct.
0: And so (laughs) let's begin. Last year you did a semester abroad. A semester, right? Yeah, you yeah. did a semester abroad in Buenos Aires. Yes. In which university?
1: Torcuato uh, de Tela. It's a private university. Uh, and it's the only institution that has a partnership program with uh, U of T. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so you did that, and at the end of this semester, that's when you started doing your research project yes. for the undergraduate um, research award that was granted to you. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do, and like roughly, what was the, the idea? Mm-hmm. Was it an LAS project, a linguistics project, both?
1: Okay, so I'll, I'll first talk about how I came up with the idea to begin with, because um, I had applied for this uh, uh, research grant early in, I think, around March... Um, so I had just gotten to Buenos Aires, um, and uh, I was really keen on just, you know, doing, doing something more um, after, uh, after my semester abroad. So one of the things that stood out to me was Buenos Aires itself as a, a city of immigrants in Latin America. Um, and I had picked Buenos Aires to begin with uh, because of my experience growing up in different cities that celebrates, you know, diversity um, and people coming from all over. So uh, I wanted to experience somewhere that's like Singapore and Toronto. So yeah, so I had picked Buenos Aires because of that. And then when I had gotten to Buenos Aires, I one of the first things I realized was that there weren't that many Asians around, the people who look like me anyway. Um, Greg is Asian. flavor. <laughs> <laughs> <Disclavoring. laughs> and then, um, so yeah, but the, but the... Thing that, you know, was really funny to me was that all, at almost every block in every neighborhood, you will encounter um, a supermarket that is Chinese-owned. And when I had first gotten to Buenos Aires, I was like, where are my people? So I, I had walked into these stores, and, um, yeah, and I, I somehow started talking to uh, the owners there in, in Mandarin. And then, on, di- on a different occasion, I had walked in and I noticed this little boy who was helping his dad, presumably the owner of the supermarket, translating for uh, like between the, the, the dad and this Argentinian customer. So he was code-switching between Spanish and Mandarin, and that to me was, was very interesting. So yeah, I was just really interested in like the whole Chinese Argentine experience and me being a language nerd, and um, I just wanted to do a project related to this. There was a paper that had already addressed the whole idea of um, the Chinese community being very stereotyped to, you know, being uh, supermarket owners and all that. So beyond the supermarket, I wanted to explore how um, Chinese Argentinians, how the youth, the young people perceive themselves, uh in, in relation to how they use their languages uh, in their on a daily basis.
0: These supermarkets mm-hmm. that um, are owned by these Chinese Argentinians are they Chinese supermarkets or are they like so normal They're
1: supermarkets owned by Chinese. They're not like they don't sell only Asian products. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there are those. There are those in. In Barrio Chino. Um, but, yeah, they're, they are, they, they're like, a lot of, like, like, convenience stores, kind of. Oh, okay. But, but they're literally, like, every four blocks you'll see one. Yeah.
0: And why study identity from a linguistics point of view? Because mm-hmm. that's something that um, really caught my attention. I could see how, you know, you could do this as sociology paper, psychology paper. What is the... Relevance of language, I suppose, in like forming identity.
1: Mm-hmm. So I had been doing some uh, kind of review of the existing literature on on the, this Asian Argentine experience in general. And one of the papers that I had found was this uh, study on heritage language loss within the Chinese Argentine uh, community in about twenty. Uh, it was twenty ten. It's by Calvin Ho, twenty ten, and. I wanted to expand on that because language—it's a tool of communication, but it is also intrinsically, you know, connected to identities of ethnic groups. So this is an idea from App, um, Apple and Muraskin, uh, nineteen eighty seven, and you know that also affects attitudes towards languages, and we often kind of just oversee the languages that we use and on on a daily basis. For me personally. I am very connected to the languages that I speak at, at home that I was raised, you know, speaking. Um, and I think it's an interesting point of view. Uh, people don't really, you know, necessarily think about it too much. So yeah, I, I was just drawn to their code switching and I just wanted to explore this. And seeing what literature, like what had been done before, I wanted to expand on that.
0: Was this project particularly relevant to you and your identity?
1: Uh, for me, it was very interesting. Or maybe insightful, sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, because, okay, so for me, I was really interested because, I mean, I, I'm descendants of Chinese immigrants who settled down in Southeast Asia, and uh, in my family, we we don't really... Like, my parents speak different dialects. Like, my dad speaks Hakka, my mom speaks Cantonese, they speak to each other in Cantonese, but never taught me that dialect formally. Um, we speak English at home, but I had to learn Mandarin in school. So, like, I, I still think that these are integral parts of me, and I wish that I had a chance to learn my heritage languages, like Hakka and Cantonese, properly and formally, but... Uh, yeah, an, I identify with those languages, um, and and I wanted to see in this case whether they're they're basically feeling similar things in, in this Argentine context. So um, <clears throat> I had first defined the Chinese Argentine youth this demographic as uh, the eighteen to twenty five uh, age group, and uh, how I was going to go about doing this was through. Uh, questionnaires and semi-structured interviews. So I wanted to just talk to people about their experience uh, growing up in Argentina as, you know, uh, as a person of Chinese origin, um, and just see what they thought. So, I first went to uh, my partner institution, uh, University Torquatu just to get some contacts to see if there were any students within the community I could speak with, um, and I did. And some of them pointed me in other directions about where I could go to within uh, the neighborhood um, because the university itself is also located in Belgrano. Which is where uh, Barrio Chino is, the Chinatown is. After that, I also contacted different cultural organizations um, and uh, religious institutions as well. There were a few mm, churches and uh, temples that also offered language classes for people from the community. Um, so, yeah, I just like cold emailed a lot of people and I approached with a lot of anxiety. Uh, a lot of pla- like a lot of places as well. Oh, I went to a lot of the the supermarkets, uh, the chinos as they, the Argentinians call these supermarkets, um, just to talk to people. Um, but what I found was that um, a lot of these supermarkets uh, all over the city, they weren't they didn't really match the 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 particular demographic I was looking for because I wanted to speak with descendants of past immigrants and a lot of the people working in these stores right now are very, very recent immigrants. Like, a lot of them had just arrived, like, within the last year or okay. something. So it, it was interesting, like, just talking to these people as well, but it didn't really, you know, contribute to my this particular study that I wanted to do.
0: Right, you were looking for the um, <clears throat> Chinese immigrants that had settled in in the 80s and the
1: 90s. 90s correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... So yeah, finding people was a lot harder than I expected, um, and a lot of people were directing me to these uh, the churches and uh, the uh, complementary schools to just talk to people. So yeah, it was a little difficult to find people for uh, from the exact you know demographic that I was looking for until I was invited to attend a service at this church, um, this Taiwanese church. Um, which offered service, which was interestingly offered in Taiwanese and Spanish. It was, like, a bilingual service. So it wasn't even Mandarin. <laughs> like, the, there, were, there were announcements and everything in Mandarin, but the service itself was in Taiwanese and Spanish. And then I was invited to join them for, like, a, their lunch, and it was a huge hall with a lot of, like, young people and all that. And that's where... Uh, I brought my questionnaires and I got a lot of respondents and very enthusiastic ones too. Um, a few of them weren't even from uh, the age group that I was looking for. So I got a few respondents under age 18. So they were like 12 to 17 who wanted to do the in- to questionnaires anyway. So I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> oh, <that's so> cute. <laughs> um, but eventually I only got about 21 responses um, for the questionnaire. Um, I had huge dreams of like get- getting more than 40, but... Uh, unfortunately, like within the time frame that I had, it was a little difficult uh, to find enough people. As for the interviews, I conducted three full length interviews. Um, they were about like forty five minutes to an hour and a half, and we were just talking about uh you know their experiences in Buenos Aires, how it was like growing up, and their language practices and all that, basing off um, what Ho twenty Ten, twenty, eleven 2011 had already uh, concluded there is a language shift. As we can expect, a, a lot of these uh, second-generation uh, Chinese Argentine youth, they are shifting towards Spanish as their dominant language. Um, but a lot of them also think very positively, and they, they want to hold on to their heritage languages very much. And bear in mind, in this case, I was... Uh, asking them more about their usage of Mandarin,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is, I feel, kind of like an arbitrary kind of language binding all the communities together because there's also different dialect groups and uh, immigrants from Taiwan and all that. Um, but, yeah, so a lot of them want to, you know, continue uh, having this heritage language spoken in their families and passed down to future generations. Um, And a lot of them, one of the questions that I had asked in my questionnaires uh, is on whether uh, it was a self-assessment of of their own speaking abilities. And it was a very mixed response. And most of them felt that, you know, they're not satisfied with how they're speaking and their speaking abilities at this point in time. Um, In Mandarin. And yeah, in their heritage language, because they're still more proficient in Spanish, which they use on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. Um, because in many cases, and if actually all the cases, they are they have very 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 limited um, contexts in which they can speak Mandarin. So uh, apart from the family and possibly um, the weekend schools, the complementary schools where a lot of them, they they you know they take classes for about 10 years, and then they, they realize that their standard is just, it's not really helping them, then they just stop. So their their standard of, like, the command of their language just kind of stagnates. So yeah, a lot of them, they, they feel like, oh, it's such a shame that, you know, I haven't been able to work on it, but if I could, I would.
0: And what did you find in regards to how they identified to Chinese culture? Is that... You know, if they have a level of Mandarin that they're dissatisfied with, are they still pretty satisfied with how they identify with with their parents' heritage?
1: So I have a statistic right here. Actually, um, I asked them a question on like which which language or culture do you identify with the most? And fifty two percent kind of indicated that they identify with both cultures. And yeah. Um, 14% only indicated like they only identified with uh, the Spanish or Argentinian culture. And uh, 29% uh, identified with mostly Chinese. So a lot of them identify with that part of themselves despite not speaking it very well or sufficiently well to them, themselves.
0: I feel as though like that relates to a very large portion of Latinos in the US for instance, or even Latinos here. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot. Of my my own uncles who never taught their kids Spanish, mm-hmm. um, and it's like yeah they don't speak Spanish but they still you know go out to to Latino events yeah. they still identify as Latino yeah even though they don't command the language and in some cases they're you know they're a bit like made fun of because of that mm-hmm. you know people think like oh you know you're not a true or I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, they're still pretty confident in their identity. So yeah. would you say that that was the case with, with these?
1: Yeah, they're, a lot of them are very confident, and they're, I think they're taking ownership of the fact that they're straddled between two cultures, and they're just, you know, that's that's who they are. They, they don't feel any, like, they don't feel out of place just because they look a little different. Mm. So I spoke with uh, one guy. His name is Pablo, uh, and he works at one of the churches that offers a complimentary school. Mm-hmm. For him, he was born in, in Argentina. Uh, his grandparents had moved to Argentina from Taiwan. Um, for him, his case was kind of special because he grew up in Buenos Aires, but he at some point had some uh, issues in the family, so he went back to Taiwan and he lived there for quite a number of years. Um, and eventually he came back to Buenos Aires um, and he feels more of an attachment and wants to settle down in Buenos Aires um, even though he did spend like his like I think late teen years in uh, in Taiwan and because of his time abroad and because he spent so much time in, in Taiwan, his grasp of Mandarin and Taiwanese is pretty good but I asked him if he wanted to go back to Taiwan to work and all that, but he said, you know, I'm very comfortable here in Argentina. Um, he was the one who said that, you know, uh, with Mandarin as a as a power is such a powerful tool to have now, and it gives him better job prospects and all that. Um, and yeah, now he's in medical school and he's very happy in Buenos Aires.
0: Did you find that you know you being in Argentina, because you know, you can be comfortable with your parents' identity to the extent that society lets you, right? You know, there are some cultures or some countries that are very homogenous and where people simply, they go and they assimilate. Mm -hmm. um, And parents don't really stress... Uh, passing down their heritage because it 's kind of deterred by things such as discrimination, racism, and whatever mm-hmm. did you find that the Argentinian society was very accommodating to these cultures, and maybe that 's part of the reason why uh, these student, these youth can can really have that sense of identity
1: i'm i 'm I'm, I'm not sure if Argentinian culture uh, kind of makes it easy for them, but they are very protective of their you know heritage and all that. and they they're I, I feel like all the people that I spoke with um they're all very rooted to their families and they 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 feel that it's super important you know to to like you know at least speak the language at home because it, to remind themselves of where they're from and and I think for me that frustrating thing when I was there was also looking at how Chinese people were being represented in the media. And I was curious about, about that, whether that would affect any of these Chinese Argentinians from, like, you know, uh, like, how it would affect them anyway. Because, for example, like just last week I was uh, looking up articles and all that and I found this newspaper report on a Chinese immigrant is now insta famous, famous on Instagram. Um, literally, the title says "From Supermarket to Fame," mm. uh, because she she has like sixty two point nine thousand followers on Instagram. She is the owner of a one of those supermarkets, and she just has like a lot of videos promoting items uh, with customers, and like she has like a million filters and. Um,
0: is she young?
1: She's, like, in her 30s. Okay. Yeah.
0: right. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it was... For me, it was a little um, unsettling because sometimes she features customers, right? And when I went to look at some of the videos, uh, even though, like, the customers were being featured, they were kind of making fun of her pronunciation of things. Okay. Yeah. Like... Like the R. The R.
0: <laughs> yeah. Feels like that's, like, the biggest one, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Balato.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like, stuff like that. So, uh, and, and in the article, it, it kind of touts her as uh, Argentina's most famous, like, the most famous Argentina. Okay. Yeah.
0: Is that a derogatory term? Ar- Argentino? Not
1: really. Not really? Not really. Um, but it's just, you know, this kind of article that kind of perpetuates this idea of, like, Chinese immigrants with supermarkets and all that. It's just, um, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was just very interesting.
0: And how do these Chinese Argentinian youth react to that? Like, is it like so bitter or
1: um, a lot of them? Well, I didn't get to discuss this because yeah, but um, a lot of them are trying to break stereotypes, and uh, they're all like the people that I interviewed. One is on his way to becoming a doctor. Uh, one is in product design, uh, so they're all doing all these other like things apart from you know working in supermarkets like their ancestors but like that's that's not really being seen on the media or uh, uh that's not what people there would uh, assume they would do but more importantly last year there was this uh Chinese Argentinian uh journalist called Lucia Hu who writes for this website called um Redaccion mm-hmm. and she she kind of published a a series of articles on the Asian-Argentine experience, and I thought that was so important and interesting. She uh, she wrote about her own family's kind of move to Argentina, why they had chosen Argentina, her experience growing up. Uh, She also featured... She had this feature of various um, Chinese Argentinians who are breaking stereotypes. So there was this guy, uh, his name is Carlos... Carlos... uh, Lin, who is like uh, this announcer and driver. There's uh, Gustavo Ng, who is um, he started a magazine on focusing on uh, like the Asian community in Argentina. It's called Tang um, and like a few other things. So, so there are these figures that are becoming more and more prominent, and they're you know pushing the boundaries and uh, redefining what it means to be like a Chinese Argentinian. Like they can just you know they're just like anyone else in society and just they're not being represented properly in the media or anything.
0: Something that I find curious is that there's these stereotypes that are being exacerbated maybe, but at the same time you talk about these bilingual schools of Spanish and Mandarin mm-hmm. and Argentinians enrolled their children be under the the basis that, well, Mandarin is the language of the future. Mm-hmm. And so, I found that that was really odd. Okay, it's like, how can you make fun of this culture, but at the same time recognize yeah, that so, your chances of success, of succeeding in life, are going to increase if you adapt part of that culture, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, so yeah. So Argentina just opened their, their first bilingual school, I think it's the world's first, in 2014. Uh, so, they conduct everything in Mandarin and Spanish. So, it's um, not
0: a weekend school?
1: No, this is like... are, like, from immigrant families. 50% are, like, local families. And uh, their uh, first batch of graduates are in 2021. So I think that's really interesting. It's an elementary school, so we don't know how that's going to turn out and if there are more schools that are going to show up like that. But I think it's, it's interesting because now that there are more and more Chinese and Argentina relations and, like, economic ties, it's interesting to see... The Mandarin, the Chinese language, gaining prestige and seeing how Argentinian society can will react to that, and I think also because it's gaining prestige, that is also why one of my interviewees said uh, that you know their language, uh, Mandarin, is has so much potential, and knowing this language allows me to have you know better job prospects in the in, in the city, and uh, sometimes knowing an extra language can earn you earn you more, so he's like yeah it's a powerful tool and i think that's why also a lot of my uh the respondents for for the study are you know pretty they they hold on tight to their their language their heritage language
0: over the last 20 years i think 2015 years the chinese presence not not population necessarily but economic presence mm-hmm. in latin america mm-hmm. has just been increasing yeah in Brazil, in Argentina, in Chile,
1: yeah.
0: everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. I personally don't know much about that relationship between Latin America and China. I just know that, you know, it's obviously extremely important because they've been investing in the continent mm-hmm. for, like, the last couple of years, like, heavy, heavy investments. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, okay, well, I think it's kind of hopeful in a way, mm-hmm. if you've got a community that's... Would you say that the Argentinian-Chinese community is marginalized,
1: or...? Um... Uh, I think... Yes I would say and like, no. Okay, so... The thing is, within the Chinese community itself, you can kind of separate those descendants of families who had moved long ago, and then they're all the recent migrants. Like... The, the very recent people who just moved here, and most they're mostly from the province Fujian in China, um, they're also, they don't really have long-term plans to stay in Argentina. A lot of them work very hard, like, really hard, and they're notoriously known to be, like, trabajadores. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they just work through the night or whatnot, and then they earn enough, and then they just leave. So I think a lot of the negative stereotypes comes from 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 like this, maybe this particular portion. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, because there have been a lot of reports, even in articles, and, and over the years about how um, these Chinese these Geno's the the super, Chinese supermarkets are they cut corners they they uh, plug out the fridge in the middle of the night like, there are all these rumors. Um, so yeah, a lot of them still still get, mocked. And, and, you know, criticized a lot. Even a few years ago, uh, one of the presidents made fun of, like, pronunciation, Chinese pronunciation of Spanish. Uh, so really? Like, yeah.
0: That's like a, a Trump move. <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know people other than Trump did that.
1: <laughs> uh, like, it was, she was on a trip, but, like, yeah, yeah just, even in uh, local TV as well, I've seen reports of just m- mocking, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's important to see, like, there's a distinct group even within the Chinese community, right? Like, there's uh, the new immigrants and those that uh, came longer
0: Right. Ago. I was also going to ask to what extent you think that Chinese culture in itself values, mm-hmm. like, the preservance of heritage because, I, like, those Latino parents that aren't teaching their kids Spanish it's for a reason, right? It's because, you know, they think that there are other like, things <clears throat> that are more important. Not that that's bad, necessarily. It's yeah. just... Maybe don't, they don't stress that as much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But would Chinese culture maybe put more emphasis on pres- being, preserving traditions or whatever, and that might play a hand, or not really?
1: Well, well speaking from my own experience anyway, um, I was often reminded about filial piety, remembering your roots... Uh, you know, being respectful to your parents. So, like, I think with that comes uh, kind of like a, a sense of responsibility to to uh, just you know remember where you're from, your culture, your languages, languages. Yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah, that's that's a common thread uh, uh, running through all these like all the different groups of like the Chinese diaspora. Like, yeah, a lot of them still preserve, you know, all these values.
0: Do you feel as though it's important for you to pass on your own heritage?
1: Yes. I... Yes. <laughs> 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 I mean, like I said earlier, I, I'm I'm a little bummed that I never really learned, uh, like, a few of my heritage languages properly. Even my Mandarin is, like... <laughs> I don't believe that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's so important, you know? Especially because, like, I speak Mandarin, but, like, it's... it's um, It was kind of like a heritage language that was uh, kind of dictated to me uh, because of uh, Singapore's language policies. Um,
0: what do you mean? So,
1: okay, so in Singapore... They have a bilingualism policy where you have to learn, like, I learned English as my first language, and then you have to take a mother tongue in school. Uh, So we have four official languages. So there's English, Malay, Tamil, and Mandarin Chinese. But why are these the official languages? So especially for Mandarin Chinese, it was chosen just to follow China. So it was also a way to kind of, um, you know, for all the different dialect groups to communicate Effectively with each other So Mandarin was Chosen To You know Be a mother tongue But We don't Like you know If we had a choice Like uh, I could be speaking Cantonese at home Or Hakka at home instead But Yeah
0: You don't speak Mandarin at home
1: Now Because of all these years Of you know uh, Going through school And everything on TV Is also Mandarin And English And and all those official languages So so, yeah, I incorporate Mandarin now. I, I see it as an arbitrary heritage language, I guess. Yeah.
0: That's so interesting that Singapore kind of obliges you to have two languages in your pocket.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because that just makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> if you're... I, I mean, in the case of Singapore, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. It's, like, I don't understand... It's, I don't understand why so many people dub like Toronto the most multicultural city in the world when I think that Singapore, maybe it doesn't have as many cultures, but I feel as though it's much more of a culture hub than Toronto is.
1: Well, I don't know how to really compare. I think Toronto itself, as you know, is so, so diverse, but in terms of language policy, I guess then it's different, right? Because over here, I mean, the bilingualism policy, you take French until grade, I'm not sure.
0: I don't know. Yeah. I went to French school, so okay. I just always do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. French. So, yeah, so I don't know. It's it's just different.
0: Yeah. I, I So I took French, but I had to take English all the way up to grade 12. Right. So I don't know if that's how English schools work with mm-hmm. French. Judging by people's uh, French skills? Yeah, I'm gonna maybe say they n- no. Not. <laughs> 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 I'm going to say they stopped teaching it at like. H7, (laughs)
1: I'm kidding.
0: I have no idea. (laughs) Do you see that being um, maybe becoming a thing in Latin America? Maybe way along the line. I think that just Mm -hmm. now we're becoming more diverse in terms of Latinos, you know? Mm -hmm. In the last episode we talked about um, Haitians and Venezuelans in Chile. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing's happening, you know, in Colombia. Colombia receiving a lot of... Of immigrants from from, you know, there's a lot of Lebanese people, for instance, in Venezuela and Colombia. Yeah. And so. Just now, like those, immigration wheels are turning for yeah. the first time, and I feel that that would be so interesting. Yeah. If in the future, we adopt something like like. Bilingualism, in. Bilingualism,
1: yeah, I, I was I was asked this question earlier today too um, at the S, um, arts and science uh, student unions undergrad research conference um, whether I would expect there to be any like language policy changes in in, in Argentina, for example, or whether the the population size for for the you know, Chinese population is big enough to influence to make any impact on that, and it's an interesting question, and I I think. I mean, in the near future, probably not. Um, but it's it's a uh, perspect- it's it's like a topic that we we should pay attention to, I guess. Um, it'll be interesting to observe how language policy changes in Latin America.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming in, Greg. <laughs>
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: If you would like to learn more about Greg's project and discover other projects led by students uh, from the Latin American Studies, you can attend the Latin American Studies Undergraduate Research Day, which will be on February 8th from 12 to five in GHB 318. Please make sure you update the Facebook page or um, keep an eye out for Berenice's newsletters for more information on that.